You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. The winter meetings are boring. And, they really uh, have been. They've, they've been <laughs> awful. Like, here we, 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 we go expect to go to the winter meetings and we're like, oh, God, Chris Getz is going to move Dylan Cease. He might move Aloya Menez. Uh, there's going to be signings. There's going to be movement. And all we're really doing is watching a bunch of teams sit there and go, uh, well, we really can't afford Shohei Otani, but we're interested. And then slowly the teams peel away. They fall away like leaves off of a tree. And it's like, okay, can Show eight, buddy. Can you just go to Toronto or to the Giants? Because that's that's where you're going. I find it ridiculous that we have to wait on him. Like I get it that there are teams that are like, well, this is our plan A. Plan A is signing Shohei Otani. But he's not going to pitch next year. So it, what does that have to do with Dylan Cease? That that is weird. That's weird. O- although Yamamoto is like everybody's like enamored with him. Uh, that's true. Well, they're always yeah, enamored. <laughs> I mean, this is typical White Sox too. Instead of being enamored with the guy from the Japanese baseball league. Where, you know, everybody gets this like, oh, this guy could be, you know, the next big thing that comes in. What are the White Sox tied to? They're tied to Washington Nationals failure, Eric Fetty, who had a good year in the KBO last year, went to Korea and, and, and picked up some new tricks or at least dominated over there. And that's the guy that they're tied to. Not, not the Japanese sensation, not the next big thing from Japan. Uh, the former National League reject who went over to Korea and is coming back now because he feels like he figured something out. All right, well, here's the deal. We're going to get into him, and we're also going to get into how the winter meetings being slow makes me hate my manager more. I'll explain that. This is all brought to you by Cork and Carry at the Park, the official home of Socks in the Basement, located in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd in Princeton. Two for one on Tuesdays. Go see Gino over at the bar. Uh, those are the award-winning burgers you get for two for one. Also, a great rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits, and wines. And then don't forget about Cork and Carry Beverly at 10614 Southwestern Avenue, where they have a uh, a nice event coming up on Wednesday, December the 20th, 6 to 8 p.m. It is Cork and Carry's Merry Market. Uh, get out there and just find some crafts, some things that you want to get for the holidays. I'm sure you can have a libation or two as you hang out along Western Avenue. Western Avenue is really pretty during this time of the year. Uh, all those different bars. And, and when you walk into Cork and Carry uh, on Western, it's like one of those time warps. It's one of those... Those Chicago bars where you walk in and you go, I bet you this looks just like what it looked like when dad was in here in the 70s and uh, he was drinking during the holidays. Like the, They got the old decorations they bring out that remind you of your grandmas or your great-grandmas, depending on how old you are listening to this show. Uh, see more at CorkandCarry.com. This guy from the KBO, Fetty. 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 Uh, here's the thing. First off. I'm not upset that they're attached to him. In fact, he makes an awful lot of sense for what they're trying to do. If it was a one-year, well, I, I agree. If it was a one-year prove-it deal with him, I'd be like, "What are we doing?" Because I, I don't like that. I think any one-year prove-it deals, uh, I think any real short-sighted signings, I have an issue with those because I want them looking towards the future. I want them looking towards being competitive in 2025. I've said that before, but you have so many holes on this team. Just because you got a guy who's slated to be a pitcher in your rotation in 2025 and he goes away in 26, that's fine because you're not going to sign 15 guys in the 24, in the 25 offseason next year. 
You're not going to completely buy like half a team in the free agent market, even if you have payroll flexibility. So you need guys like this. For sure, he's an innings eater. For sure, he's a guy that's going to go out and pitch 180 innings. I feel really confident in that. I believe that's what he went and did in the KBO. 180 and a third innings in the uh, in the KBO, which is a very, over in Korea, that is a very hitter-friendly league. It really is, actually. Yeah, and for him as a starter to go 20-6 and six with a 2.00 ERA and a 0.95 whip, like, I don't expect that when he pitches in Major League Baseball again, right? But... He did change the shape of his slider from what I'm reading. He is changed. He has changed the mix of pitches that he uses. His velocity hasn't changed very much at all. It's just how he's pitching. And at 30 years old, coming back after a year there, he could have a season and a reborn career, much like Merrill Kelly just did with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And, and Merrill Kelly, if you remember, is a guy who had middling stats just like this guy did. In the majors, you know, high whip, high ERA, just eating innings, really a fifth starter. You're kind of like, what? what is he? He's just like a guy. He's just like a dude. And, and then Merrill Kelly comes back, and he was so good coming out of the KBO in this past season. He was the guy that I was starting over Max Scherzer in my fantasy baseball league. Like, I mean, like he was, he was dominating out there all year long because he made changes to how he approached batters. And so if that's what it takes, going and getting a fresh perspective. Trying something out new outside of Major League Baseball and the pressure of being in a minor league system even. And then you come back. Just like a just like a professional wrestler goes to New Japan Wrestling and like maybe AJ Styles was terrible in the WWE the first time around, but he comes back and he's a superstar. Like, I mean, like it's just like that. Going someplace else sometimes, getting a fresh perspective and coming back. We've seen that work in Major League Baseball as well, like with Merrill Kelly. So maybe Eric Fetty is that kind of guy. Brian Bannister actually tweets. I love that we have somebody in the front office that tweets now. This is our guy overlooking all of our pitching. After Fetty signs two years, $15 million with the White Sox, that is the reported amount, and Fangraphs already slots him as our number two behind Cease. That's how bad the rotation is. Bannister tweeted, one, Fetty works out at the same facility as Logan Webb in the offseason. Two, he added the same sweeper and split change to his arsenal as Webb. He did not use these pitches in Washington. And three, Ethan Katz and I were both with Webb when these adjustments were made. You get it now. You get why the Sox got him. You see transparency right there on social media from one of the guys who had input in the signing. You see what the White Sox see in him and why they're bringing him over from the KBO. That's all you need to know. Yeah, really, last year was the first year, uh, not last year, uh, two years ago in 2022, was the first year he was really kind of a full-time starter for the Nationals, and it didn't go well. 581 ERA and, you know, his uh, whip was 1.630. I mean, ugly stats, right? But, you know, he goes to the KBO, he has a more dominating year than anything Merrill Kelly did there. And you're right. You got guys that, that come back, go overseas. They, they learn some new tricks. They learn some new strategy. Uh, they learn some new pitches. They get out of their system that they were in and they're able to come back and recreate themselves. And it, it it's, it's happened before. It'll happen again. And sometimes it even happens just taking a guy who's a cast off from one team and bringing him in and saying, okay, this is what we can do for you and turn you into something better. Right? So 
Fetty is a good example of what you would expect them to fill the rotation with for this year and maybe try and sneak it into next year. I'm not really expecting them to find their ace in this offseason. No, no, they're not. They're not, not finding their ace in this offseason unless they want to give more years than what I think I, I think would be would make sense. Right. Like here, here's a perfect example. Like Jack Flaherty. Yeah. Is out there. And you remember how dominating he was before the injury. Right. Right. So supposedly the Pittsburgh Pirates media is talking about the idea that that there's an offer on the table from the Pirates, but he wants more years. And you sit there and you think to yourself, like, they probably offered him something like what the Sox offered Clevenger, right? Like a one-year with an option, some kind of prove-it type deal. And that it, that makes it seem like he thinks he doesn't need to take a deal right away because he can get himself three, four years someplace else. Now, if you really believe in him, you do it. But if you screw up, man, do you look stupid? And does it set you back having him stuck there with you for a couple of years? Because Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't just let you cut guys. You know, I mean, eventually you get to cut a Dallas Keiko, but look how long it takes and how bad it has to get. So, so that, I mean, that's, that's the thing with the Sox. I, I get this, the, the idea of bringing in a guy like Fetty because you, you have to start adding players. In fact, I like the idea that two years with him, if that was what the move is, the Soroka move where you're hoping that maybe you could sign him to an extension, you know, the, the, the players that you're bringing in, you're bringing guys that are on the cusp of being ready or guys that have shown flashes that make you believe they could be something and they could be something long-term for you where you could even extend them or you like in Fetty's case, you at least got two years. It'll, it'll impact you in the 25 season. I'd rather have that than let's say you go out and you get rich Hill at 45 years old or something when you know right. that he's got nothing to do with your future and you're hoping he plays well enough so you can flip him for prospects as a trade deadline. If they were doing that, I'd be like, Oh no, we're in for a long rebuild. But that's that's not what they're doing. So when I hear names like this, I go, okay, fine. We're not we're not going for the big boys, which is disappointing, and that's all Jerry Reinstor's fault because he's cheap. I saw that old man walking around already at the winter meetings. You know, he can't wait to get in front of a microphone when he's going to talk about anything that isn't the White Sox. He doesn't want to talk about the White Sox, but he'll talk about Hall of Fame votes. Whenever you get a get a microphone in front of him, because he likes being the elder statesman at these meetings where all the national media fawns over him because he's an owner and he wants to talk. But I bet you if somebody tried to ask him a question about his payroll and his team, he runs out of the lobby and goes immediately to whatever cave that he's rented and for he's the weekend. And he's shockingly fast when he does that, too. I mean, it's, He looks it's, slim. He looks slim. I'm hoping, yeah. he, I'm hoping that's old man wasting away slim is what that is and not the fact that he's <laughs> not, in really good shape slim. and he's going to last to be 140. That's what I'm hoping. Well, I, 140, he's never going to give himself that many years. That's a, too big of a commitment financially. <laughs> Which Zemar just walked in here to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Uh, are, are you interested in any way in the White Sox offseason, or are you just inundated with things that you have to do when it comes to health insurance? Inundated. Yeah. Uh, it's that time of the year. It's busy, um, and it's almost like the, the doors are busting off. You getting some sleep? Uh, a little bit here and there. And you help businesses, small and big, get the best out of their insurance plans for their employees. Because if you think about it, it's not just the employee paying a premium and the company kind of covering it. The company gets affected by the bottom line as well. It's all about keeping people that you want around your workplace working for you because they're happy with the benefits, right? 100%. And employees are leaving companies uh, for better benefits and uh, strategizing and making sure that you're doing the best not only for your bottom line as the company, um, whether you're the CFO or the owner, uh, or to retain that employee because that's talent, that's profit, that's money sitting on the table. Um, and so making sure you put it together right. So if somebody wants to look in the possibility 
of reducing cost and probably getting better insurance for their own employees and making them happier. How do they do that? Call 708-535-3006, or you can email me at butch at elitebenefits.net. I want to talk about how Pedro is is not benefiting from a very slow winter meetings. No, no, because that gave him a chance to open his mouth. Right. I mean, like, here's the thing. Up until this point, as we're sitting here talking, uh, we have essentially a stall in the Dylan C stuff. And I love how Getz basically came out and said, I don't need to trade him. Well, that, that was a perfect statement. That was a perfect statement by Chris Getz. There's a pace to these things. I don't need to trade this guy. This guy's super talented. I, I want him on my baseball team. Only if it makes sense, which, you know, is is basically telling the Dodgers, knock it off. You don't have enough stuff. I think he's telling the Orioles. I, I, I think he's telling I think he's telling the Orioles, you need to step up your game and you need to give me a lot more than you're offering. Right. Because you keep seeing these names that are associated, but it's like I think they're just trying to switch out one of those high end guys that's either AAA ready to start this year in the majors or has already had a cup of coffee and they know is a major leaguer. And and they, they're they're trying to offer one of them. And Chris Getz is like, yeah, more than one. Because what you have is you have a pitcher that's better than Kenta Maeda and is going to cost less than what he signed for with the Dodgers. You have a pitcher who's better than Lance Lynn uh, and is going to make less this year than what Lynn's going to make in, in, in his in his uh, right. in his arbitration. And and you got two years of control for him and a competing team wants him. Trust me, a deal is going to get done. But what he essentially said is, I don't care if you think that this is going to get done during the winter meetings. I can wait as long as I have to wait. So that's good. I'm glad he went out and he said that he's handling it properly. But essentially, nothing's happening right now in the winter meeting. So it's giving guys like Pedro a chance to make headlines in Chicago. And his headlines are terrible. Like he, like he go he goes and he talks and he he talks about the like his hope for the team and how they're in such a good position and you know it, it, the one thing that I thought was hysterical is that that you know and I love Scott Merkin he's great comes on the show all the time but he it's so boring he wrote an article about Pedro where he said that after Pedro Gafol had played the Diamondbacks in the last week of the twenty three season he told those around him that the D backs were going to the World Series. He liked the fearlessness, their personality as a team, and he wants the same from his group. Well, Lottie da a manager after he played a team in the end of the season after his team underperformed and he did a poor job as a manager, continuously plugging guys in the positions in the lineup and out on the field where they had clearly shown that they weren't equipped to be there, stubbornly sticking Tim Anderson up at the top of the order when he was never going to come out of what he was doing and handling his pitching staff poorly. That guy gave an opinion to some people and just happened to get lucky enough that they actually made it to the World Series. And that's how boring it is right now that there's an article on it. And I don't blame Merck for that because he's got to find something White Sox related when he's there. But I'm telling you, every time I read something about Pedro and every time I see him talk about his positivity about this team, I am convinced that he is either A, somebody who is the front man for this team who is going to give you the rosiest outlook on everything because they need that for the bad fans, for the ones that need to hear, we're going to go for the World Series this year, and they go, I can't wait to buy my tickets and sit out there. Like, he needs to be that for that section of the fan base. Or B, he is an absolute buffoon. Now, maybe it's both. Ah. But it feels like he's either he's either the front man for the idiot part of the fan base, okay, or he's an absolute buffoon. I'm going to add a column C to that one. And and that's and there's and there's a group of, of of professional 
in, in professional sports, the coaches, managers, whatever they call them in their particular league, there's always a couple of guys that are in the league that are sitting in the, in the, in the big chair that basically treat a professional team like they were, you know, coaching a group of third graders, okay, where, where they want that relentless positivity to come through and just say, like, if I'm constantly positive about this, I can raise, I can, I can inspire these kids, even though some of these kids are pushing 40 years old, I can inspire these kids to greatness, right? And, and it's this weird, like, Keanu Reeves in a movie where he's got a coach a team that he doesn't want anything to do with and I can't remember it he, actually is, exists like, I can't like remember the name out, of it. he's like taking care of his community service or something right, like that, right? exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's what it is it feels like that yeah, it feels it, like it's, Pedro's it's, been ordered by the court to, to, right. to, to coach a, the White Sox right he's got Bring a court order court order to coach the White Sox and, and mend fences in the community so and, and I think that there is Something to the other two, though, where like you know he feels like if he if he's relentlessly positive, the fans will come around to it, which we won't because we're jaded beyond ever falling for that trick, Pedro. And I think that there's a little bit of buffoonery in the idea that you're going to willfully you know you're going to will a team to victory through positivity and, and creating a positive culture because the real thing is 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 being truthful and being honest about it. Okay, if a guy like you said. The guy's not thriving in his spot in the lineup. Keeping Tim Anderson as a leadoff hitter is a positive, you know, Timmy's our leadoff hitter, and and by gosh, by golly, he's been great at it before, and he'll be great at it again. We just got to all clap our hands, and the leadoff hitter fairies will make Timmy great again. <laughs> and, and and you do that, and, and it's kind of stupidity because, you, you know, the real honest assessment of it last year was Tim's going through something, man. We don't know if it's physical. We don't know if it's mental. We don't know if it's both, but whatever it is, He's not leading off for this team. He's got to go a little bit lower in the lineup. He's got to hit somewhere else. He's got to try and get his way out of the funk. We got to put Ben Intendi up there. We got to put somebody else up there. That's an honest assessment, and 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 it is a little bit of buffoonery. And I and I do think that that's one of the things that drove us mad about Pedro was when he was hired. He talked about changing the culture, which we all, I think, all fans appreciated because we saw that Tony had completely lost the locker room and kind of everybody likes up. change. Politicians go, we're going to exactly. change something, and people start voting for him, right? Like everybody loves change. Unfortunately, sometimes we find out that there isn't any real change, or their change is bad change. You know, or, I mean, or, yeah, and 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 their change is is you know not just bad, but like toxically dumb. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Somebody, I, I've seen a few people. I've seen a few people online. I've, I, I know that people are asking the question, why is he still the manager of the team? And I would offer that if I were Chris Getz and I knew I wasn't going to be competitive in 24 and I needed somebody to sit out there and be the pin cushion for the anger of White Sox fans, I'd leave that guy in that chair. Oh, yep. Right. I, like, yeah. I, I mean, like, I'd be like, I'm going to say all the right things, right? I'm going right. to, I'm going to craft my team. I'm going to put it together. Right. And I'm going to let him sit in that chair and draw the ire of every intelligent fan that I have who's angry about what this team is because he's perfect for it. He says enough sound bites every time he sits in front of a microphone that makes a fan angry with his perspective on the team. Like he, I mean, because he gives the impression he doesn't know what he has. He gives the impression that he doesn't understand where the fault in the team is. He He's actually the last holdover of. The garbage we would hear from the front office from Han and Williams and company, the idea that, oh, as long as everybody has a career year and they all just try a little bit harder and nobody gets injured, we're going to win a World Series. 
And he, and, and he says things like he's trying to win a division instead of talking about winning championships. He does all the little things that piss White Sox fans off. And if I were Chris Getz, I'd be like, yeah, well, the old man doesn't like me getting rid of managers. And if I bring in a new guy, he's going to take so much grief. They're going to hate him or they're going to come after me. But if I leave this guy in if front of a microphone every day, out there, yeah, right. Gonna... Like, I mean, like that, like I wouldn't want to move him. If I were Getz, I'd be like, it's a lost year anyway. Leave him in there. He can run his little system and his fundamentals and stuff like that. He doesn't seem like he's a very strong personality. So whatever I tell him to do, he's probably going to do it. Right. He's not going to give me any kind of grief about how he wants to do things because he just wants me to like him enough that he's that he's going to get to keep uh, managing and get to managing his third year of his contract. So he's going to be Mr. Positive, listen to everything I say, and every time he says something stupid, people will be mad at him, and I can sit over here and build the team in peace. If I were Getz, I'd keep him there. Oh, absolutely. It's, call it Operation Human Shield. Right, that's, that's what he is. Pedro Grafal, the human shield of the White Sox front office. Hailstorm Brewing Company is the official brewery of Socks in the Basement. They have a scratch kitchen that's really good. They're constantly changing up the menu. Some very hearty options out there right now. They're open at 11 a.m. for lunch Tuesday all the way through Sunday, and then they're open in the evenings as well. Check their website for all of the different lunch specials, also the live acts. On, on Friday nights and Saturday nights, there's always live music. They've got great beer, a lot of really good ones for the winter. The Pinochle Porter at 6.7% is excellent. The Why Don't You Go Stout About It American Stout at 7.5% is something you don't see in many breweries. They don't really make American-style stouts. They make it there. Their Spice Dark Winter Ale is on tap right now. The Holiday Spice at 8.6%. And the Crash Test Dummy, the Belgian Triple, is something I think everybody should go and try, especially if you are a beer hound. They are located out in Tinley Park at 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue. See more at hailstormbrewing.com. Do you think that we're really going to wait around until Shohei Otani makes a decision because it feels like that's what major league baseball is waiting for. Like smart teams are doing what gets did. This goes back to something I said recently, smart teams are filling in where they can before the market sets itself. The Rays went and grabbed themselves a relief pitcher and, and I'm seeing teams like kind of fill in with those minor signings because right now, unless you're going to drop a dump truck full of money on some free agents front door to make them sign with you, because they don't want to wait, you know, because you have to do that to get them to not wait and see how the market settles. You're you're essentially in a, a holding pattern here to wait and see how everything breaks and what's going to be available to you in your price range as you're trying to fill out your team. Well, I think Otani is more, at this point, more of a kind of a curiosity, right? Because, again, what you're doing is you're trying to lock this guy down for the very long term, understanding that his elbow is not going to allow him to pitch for the foreseeable future he's going to be able to hit next year while he rehabs which is you know I'm sure going to give some teams some pause too but he's such a transcendent talent that you know I don't know that he sets the market for everybody else I really think it's it's you know more about the the pitching that's that's out there as as free agents and I think that's what's going to really make the difference 
What I think they're waiting for with Otani is you kind of assume that, let's say, the Blue Jays lose out on it as one of the two teams that seems to be kind of in the finals here. What are the Jays going to do? Because if they were going to commit all that money to Otani, where are they going to put that money? So a guy like a Jack Flaherty looks at that and goes, all right, maybe I will hold off for a bit because if they decide that they're just going to add to their rotation and try and bolster their pitching, maybe I got a shot with those guys to get the years and the dollars I really want as opposed to a make a deal with the White Sox or, or, or whoever else, right? And, and I don't even think Flaherty's coming here because I'm guessing he's probably going to hold out for more money than he's worth. But that part of it, I think, is, is the only thing we're really waiting on Otani for. And I think if it comes down, as, we, as we're starting to dwindle down to a couple of teams, I do think what you'll see is when the Dodgers are officially out, when the Cardinals are, you know, they know that there's no prayer of them getting in on certain free agents. When you have some of these teams that are, uh, you know, been tied to Dylan Cease, the Orioles, you know, when the Orioles aren't getting that pitcher from Japan, when, the, when, when all of that starts to settle out, when they realize that these guys are down to a couple of choices, I think you'll start seeing some movement underneath there because I think what you're going to tr- see happen is, if the Orioles want to make sure that they get their ace, they want to get a top pitcher. If they know they're out of the running for one of the free agents, then there's no reason why they shouldn't try and give Chris Getz the deal that he wants to try and bring Dylan Cease over to Baltimore. Or if the Cardinals are are trying to do something along those lines, they realize they're going to be priced out of the free agent market after they signed Gibson and Lynn, which is their fault for doing that. Then, you know, they're going to make their best pitch for Cease. So, I don't know if it's necessarily we're waiting for him to sign so much as we're waiting for that to come down that your team is out of it. Your team has no prayer on the, on this free agent. Your team has no prayer on whatever premium guys are out there. Meanwhile, I, I feel like everything that I'm hearing from Chris Getz and the other members of his front office that are at the winter meetings, it really does sound like they're, I mean, I hate saying this. I hate saying, trust me, folks, I'm, I'm going to be right about this, but it really does sound like, they are shopping as well. They are shopping to add things to their team. They're not just going into rebuild mode. They're not just trying to say, hey, we've got you know this player and we're just trying to unload him for prospects who's going to give us the best package. That's not what they're doing here. Like what Cease is going to command, it, like again, it looks like all of the people they're talking to have are flush with players that are major league ready or even major leaguers if you look at what they did last year. And they're young and they're controllable and they're trying to make a move to get players at that level so it's not a long-term rebuild. But it also feels like they're having conversations with agents and with teams even to try to find players that will be at the major league level. It's very different. You know, I know it's hard to remember because it feels like eons ago when they went into the last so-called rebuild this team. And we had a pandemic in the middle of the thing, which makes it feel like it was 30 years ago instead of only like, what, six, six, seven years ago, six, seven years ago. Feels like it was 30 years ago. The world has been nuts since then. My life has been nuts since then. I think when they went into this thing, I was a 911 dispatcher, happily married. And now uh, we are we are at a point where I'm going through a ridiculous divorce that I can't wait to tell you about one day, all of you, five years from now when the th- damn thing's over and I'm living in a cardboard box, okay? But when I finally get to tell the story, you'll be like, holy cow. And, and I'm telling you right now, I'm going through that and I'm no longer a 91 dispatcher. I run a podcast company and there was a pandemic in the middle. It feels like it was 30 years ago, but it was recent history and when they did that last time, I remember that offseason being, we're moving these players, we're selling them, 
what's the best prospect package? Nobody was talking about trying to bring in pitching. Nobody was talking about trying to bring in players and change things at a major league level during that offseason. So that's why I continue to be convinced, until proven otherwise, that this is not the same thing as much as there are negative White Sox fans that are out there. And again, look, I, I get angry and I get negative too. You? No. I understand the negativity because you've been abused. You've been abused for years by this organization. And in recent history, they've really ramped it up. They've gaslit you. They've tried to tell you after they after they missed out on Manny Machado that they gave him the best deal when it really wasn't. You've been basically told that you're stupid. Their, their corporate podcast is at multiple times tried to paint you as being bad for calling it well before it actually happened. And now those guys sit around and they're on their little microphones and they're telling you that they, they felt the same way as you. You remember, they didn't feel that way three years ago when we were yelling at they weren't. And so, like, you've been gaslit, you've been you've been abused by the team, you've been treated terribly by them. So I get the fact that you don't trust them. And trust me, I don't trust them either. I kind of I kind of look at them wearily and I go, maybe. And that's my unhealthy relationship with them, right? That I just keep running back to them. Maybe this guy gets and the new guys he brought in, it'll be different. Maybe they can work around the old curmudgeon that has all the money that constantly gets in the way of his own team being successful because he does. All right. Maybe they can find a way to work through the garbage that's inside of their own house created by the owner that they have. Maybe. And I'm in that mode where I, but I still understand the fans that look at this and say, this is terrible. We're in another seven year rebuild and I hate this team. I get you. I understand you. I just don't think that's what's happening. Well, look at some of the rumors, right? You know, talk about the Cardinals as, as an outsider, for getting Dylan Cease. And the names that are being floated are guys like Brendan Donovan or Lars Newtbar. Those are major league players. Those are guys that were starters for the Cardinals last year that were our young, controllable starting position players. They're not talking about, you know, their top end prospects. They're talking about guys that have been in the majors, a guy like Alec Burleson or, you know, Matthew Libertori, who pitched in the majors last year and is major league ready. That type of a package makes a lot of sense because what you're really doing is you're saying, here's a team that has positions that are going to be unmanned or you don't really have a solid feel for what they're going to do in the future because there's some stop gaps there, okay, like Nicky Lopez and Paul DeYoung. When you're looking at what teams are able to offer, that's why the Dylan C thing is so interesting because it isn't just a traditional sell-off. It's like the Aaron Bummer thing where you really had one prospect come back. Everybody else is a major league player. If you're going to worry about this rebuild, they would have already made certain moves, okay? Because giving up prospects for controllable young players is an easy thing for any general manager to sell to their owner across anywhere in the majors, right? They would have moved, they would have moved more guys. They wouldn't just be talking about Cease right now. Right. You would have a, a laundry list of guys that are on the on the move. You, you I mean nobody would be safe. And, and, and here's the thing, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be for like high-end guys. Like I'm not saying that there's a bunch of talent on this team that would bring back high-end prospects, but you would be seeing that thing where they were just they were just clearing the decks to get, you know, like a single A or double A shot in the dark type player. They'd be they'd be they'd be moving everything right now. And they'd right. be and I don't see them doing it. Like, look, this team is bad. This team's got a lot of holes in it. This team's gonna lose a lot of games next year as, as it's currently constructed. But you could actually tear it down more if you really wanted to. And if you were really going into a long rebuild, that's what they would be doing. 
Well, if you're really going into a long rebuild, Andrew Vaughn is gone. Eloy Jimenez is gone. And maybe even Luis Robert Jr. is gone. If you're really going into a long rebuild, he's a shining star out there, right? That's the thing. When I hear Getz basically shooting it down at the winter meetings, okay? Because that's what he's he's been basically shooting it down at the winter meetings. I'm convinced he isn't going to move him. And when I hear that, I go, okay, if he's not moving him, this isn't a long-term thing. This is a quicker turnaround. Okay, again, that's probably the one benefit to having him in there. A person that, again, we never wanted in there in the first place. He's been there for seven years. He doesn't want to sit around for five more sucking. He went through this too with us. And if he really was a voice that was in there that nobody was listening to because he really didn't have any power and he was just surrounded by morons, then he doesn't want to go into a, into something that's going to take a long time either. Nobody wants to live that way. Look, the only the only real positive that's come out of the winter meeting so far, though, Ed, is that is that Joe West was up for the Hall of Fame and didn't come anywhere close. And I hope yeah. that continues forever. And he can write a country song about it, and he can be sad. You know, I mean, let's be honest. If you're an umpire and I know your name, you are a bad umpire. <laughs> There's a reason why most people, when you say Angel Hernandez, know exactly who you're talking right, about. Right, But I can't even think of another umpire to mention to you that I can sit there and say, by example, you don't know who I just said. Angel Hernandez, a guy that Major League Baseball proved in court was the worst umpire they had after he sued them. And they still can't fire him because it's like the most powerful union in the world right now, the MLB Umpiring Association. Just, just amazing. Yeah. You get on your horse. Actually, if he sat on a horse, the horse would die. Uh, get 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 in the back of your well, carriage. Go the wrong way. Yeah, get in the back of your carriage, cowboy Joe, and have that team of stallions ride you off into the sunset. We don't want you in the hall. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found, and always on socksinthebasement.com.